my name is Joel Johnson with Hatton Landscape, and I am a hardscaper. What's happening, hardscapers? This is episode 188 of the How to Hardscape podcast, where we talk about how you can start and grow your hardscaping business. And on today's episode, we have an I Am a Hardscaper interview with a business owner doing a deep dive into their business. And this is with Joel of Hatton Landscape. You can find him on Instagram, Hatton underscore Landscape. That's H-A-T-T-O-N underscore Landscape there. And before we get into today's episode, this episode is brought to you by Cycle CPA. You can find them also on Instagram, Cycle underscore CPA. And if this is the year that you're going to need a little bit of help understanding your numbers a little bit further, they offer bookkeeping, accounting, and CFO services. And if you mention the How to Hardscape podcast, you get $200 off their services there. So reach out to them, Cycle underscore CPA on Instagram or CycleCPA.com. We'll be talking more about them later in today's episode. Not to mention more about understanding your numbers. The How to Hardscape headquarters will help you budget, estimate, and so much more. Reach out to me if you're interested in that at the How to Hardscape members-only platform. That's members.howtohardscape.com. Or just reach out to me at How to Hardscape on Instagram. And without further ado, let's get into today's episode with Joel. All right, Joel, let's get started to get to know a little bit more about you, yourself, how you got started in the industry. Give our audience a little bit of background about your beginnings. Yeah, so uh, about 10 years ago, I actually used to work for Mike Arnold with Creekside Landscape. Um, So that was really where I I got my introduction to the landscape industry. Um, I worked on his mow crew for a year um, and then... Yeah, I kind of jumped into things really, really pretty green after that. I grew up uh, doing a lot of landscaping with my dad um, around the house and stuff like that, more general maintenance, stuff like that, hedge trimming. So, yeah, I kind of uh, had an opportunity that came up through a family friend to buy uh, like a small mow route from him. So I went ahead and kind of did that and started doing it on the weekends and then just, you know, worked worked my way into it. But yeah, so coming into the industry as far as like owning a business, I really had basically a general understanding of lawn care and the maintenance side of this stuff, but uh, kind of learned the hardscaping, uh, you know, along the way through different resources and stuff, you know. Nice. Uh, so yeah, I again started working with, with Creekside and began mowing for myself um, and then, you know, kind of had some small opportunities for some little flat work for customers and stuff like that, that kind of pulled me into the the hardscape industry. Uh, once I got more familiar with it and even seeing, you know, again, a lot of the work on Instagram and stuff like that, it was like, uh, kind of felt like my way out of cutting grass every day. Not that I, that was a great business. I'm, I'm grateful for it. Uh, but it just be able to use more of that creativity um, and stuff like that. It was, uh, Good. So we went off, uh, I think it was about five, five years ago, six years ago and did our ICPI and NCMA training, uh, kind of get those certifications and that deep understanding of how to do things right. Uh, and then, yeah, just kind of been, been going from there slowly, but surely. I want to get into your story here. Uh, maintenance. Do you still do maintenance in the business this day? Do you still have that division going? Yes. Yeah, so we do, uh, do still do like the HOA property. So we're not doing any residential um, anymore, just just dealing with the, the HOA groups. Um, but those have been good for us. It's a, uh, helps build out the snow route as well because we, we do snow plowing in the winter. Um, so yeah, we, we are still involved in the maintenance, but thankfully I've kind of shifted it from, you know, 500, indiv- you know, not 500, but you know, a bunch of individual customers to just a kind of a cluster of those homeowner association. Uh, so we have one crew that does that and then kind of a crew that is our, our hardscape crew for what we did this year, uh, kind of two separate crews. And was that it? Was that like from the time you purchased those routes to do those maintenance routes, those lawn care routes, did you have it in the back of your mind that you wanted to get more and more into hardscaping or was it, you know what, this opportunity came up like guns blazing, let's do this. Uh, where where does hardscape, you know, that that seed start to get planted where you want to, you know, transition more and more to that? I think uh, really a lot through, again, the, the Instagram and stuff, kind of seeing the, the projects that were being put out. You know, I know Mike does some really beautiful work over at Creekside and a lot of, you know, other companies. So seeing seeing that as well as, uh, 
uh, got connected with Jack over at Imagine through the Masterminds group. Um, and just, you know, again, we had been doing some hardscape before that, but um, again, just kind of seeing those projects online was really what, what drew me into it. Um, and I love the creativity of the, the design and laying out patios and just the, the opportunity that's there, mixed and pavers and all the different materials and stuff. Uh, it just felt a lot more creative to me uh, than versus we have these houses that have mowed the same yard for five years or something like that. Um, kind of breaks you out of the box a little bit. Um, so that was just, again, kind of that, that inspiration from the, from the gram and different sources like that. Yeah. Uh, just was like, man, I, I would love to, to build stuff like that. Uh, that's really what pulled us in. We do a lot of artificial turf now and the putting green, stuff like that. So that's what kind of pulled us, um, you know, forward kind of into a lot of different new fields. Uh, just as a result of that exposure, you know. That so you you invest into the ICPI and CMA. Um, how how do you land those first initial jobs to kind of get you get that ball rolling? Did you already have some leads in terms of you're maintaining, you're doing lawn care for this certain clients? You start to offer that services. Like, where do you get that ball rolling to uh, you know get those first initial jobs? Yeah, so uh, it was probably around. So it'll be ten years in February. We've been in business. It was probably around like year three or four. I had a customer. Uh, that asked us to build some pillars for him. So again, I was kind of like, yeah, I could do that. And long story short, the pillars we ended up having to rebuild uh, a few years later. But it was like that kind of sparked that in me of like just kind of wanting to wanting to do more of the the build side of things. So after that fiasco, you know, we went back and took them down, rebuilt them properly. But um, that was really when I kind of had that epiphany, like, man, I, I need to get some some training. Um, so that's where, again, I started really diving into the resources. And for me, that has been, that would be one of my biggest things to, to push on people is, um, you know, there's a lot of available material out here, whether it's almond with his, uh, you know, training videos or, you know, going to those technical certifications, um, but dive into those things, you know, cause there's, once you get that, that baseline, you're really able to go from there on a good, good foundation, you know? What one was it that you started to feel like more and more confident where you can like really push this service to existing clients to try to get new leads? Like where, where does that kind of fit in the timeline after those pillars? When you, you go back, you do what needed to be done there. Yeah. Yeah. So really for me, once I got that certification, um, I felt felt pretty confident. We began doing a bit more of just the, you know, kind of flat work stuff. Um, but for me, uh, to, to start landing the, the bigger projects, like some of the stuff we're doing, you know, today, um, that really came as a result of, giving, I wouldn't say giving away work, but do, doing work for, for a good price. I remember hearing one time, Sean, on your podcast uh, from Premier, talking about when, when you're starting out that, you know, there, there's some value in considering that it was an advertising cost where, where you get some projects in the ground and you're able to kind of show people um, that you're qualified and that, you know, you know what you're doing. Um and so you, I would say that was kind of a, a, a big help for us is we, we had a, a builder friend um, that was doing a full build on a house that had some retaining walls and we actually did a, a paver driveway there. Um, so that was kind of our, um, that big gulp, you know what I mean? Where it was a big project for us, but, you know, we did great at it. Uh, that was five years ago today. Nice. You know, everything's, everything's great there. But once, once you get that, that first project that really is somewhat to scale, um, then you're able to kind of start landing more of the projects. So we didn't really have a lot of customers per se asking this of us before we had a portfolio. Uh, I think it really came as a result of, you know, getting that first customer to trust you um, to do the big project, make sure you do your due diligence before you get on site, obviously. Um, but once you get, once you get the first one in the ground and get some pictures uh, that you can show people, I know, once I had those pictures of a driveway and, you know, some eight foot walls, people were just assume, you know, what you're doing kind of, yeah. you know. Absolutely. I, I've got a couple of questions dating back to what you said at the beginning, starting with Mike Arnold there. Uh, what, what experience were you able to uh, take away from that position when you get this opportunity to purchase the, uh, this lawn route? Um, what what trans what were you able to transfer from your experience with uh, Mike Arnold and Creekside there over to then starting your own business and and taking on this opportunity? 
So he really, again, working for him, I was on his uh, his mo crew. I was running a maintenance crew for him. So I was involved in, in that side of the business. They were still doing uh, the hardscape. But uh, I guess, honestly, just kind of seeing Mike in that position, it was like it just seemed like a, a really cool uh, environment to be able to be a part of, uh, just as far as the landscape industry as a whole. Um, so, yeah. Again, I... I Kind of seeing seeing the the work they did, I think, was the the biggest thing that that drove me. Um, but yeah, as far as the actual technical skills and knowledge, unfortunately, uh, that opportunity came uh, a little early, so I didn't uh, didn't get to again develop my skills under someone else, which I think is uh, looking back again. That's kind of one of those things. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but I, I really started green. I really did. Yeah, um, and did did a lot of learning um, in the field. Uh, which which was hard, but uh, yeah, again, the the work Creekside does and all of that was a, a big inspiration as far as their their standards of quality and the the work they're putting out and stuff. You know, they do do some really great work. Yeah, what, what about in just terms of operate owning and operating a business? Like, were there any uh, specific things just being on that mow crew that you're able to apply to now your your mowing route and, and uh, anything in terms of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I know you see a lot of times when people guys will be mentioning how big it is to have the fuel on site at your shop. Uh, I know Mike had that 10, 12 years ago. That was something that was just part of their their route. So, you know, he, he really did a great job of just, you know, making sure that, that crews are, you know, ha- had what they need um, and, and that things, things ran smoothly there. Um, obviously, every business has their hiccups and things that break and the, and the chaos that's, that's a part of it. Um, but yeah, um, I think one, one big takeaway that it took me a while to implement in my own business is Mike does such a great job of getting his people in place and then really letting them do their thing. Uh, where, you know, sometimes as an owner operator, it's really hard to get your hand, hand out of the mix. Um, you know, I know that's something that till really as of two years ago, I, I was in the field every single day, you know, 70, 80 hour weeks, just hustling. Um, but he, he really does a great job of, again, building that, that team around himself, um, of whether it's designers or, or pe- people that, that can do good work. But, yeah, building that team is really a, a skill set, I think, that as an owner that everyone has to kind of fight to, to develop within themselves, you know. Definitely. Did, did working there, did having that position give you the confidence that when this opportunity comes up to purchase this, this lawn route, uh, did that give you the confidence to like dive right into that and like, yes, this is the opportunity that I that I want to take, or um, or if you didn't work there, would you still have purchased that lawn route to to get you started in your business? Like, yeah, if I didn't work, I don't think, I really don't think that opportunity uh, would have even come around. It was kind of the fact that somebody knew I worked for a lawn care that I was uh, reached out to. Uh, it was someone from our church community. Um, so I knew the guy, but again, he kind of had reached out to me, uh, as a result of knowing I was in the industry. Um, and again, I just, I really enjoyed the drive, the equipment, the operating, um, I had gone off to a year of college and I think I kind of had this realization that that, that was not the route I wanted to take. I didn't want to sit behind the desk for the rest of my life. So I really, again, I think that's where I admired that, that position of being able to, own and operate of you know work in the business uh, it, it felt like a my door in if you will um which again looking back it was it <laughs> probably should have stayed a few more years to uh glean some more skills uh, i think i could have uh, eliminated a lot of uh, headaches along the way for sure definitely definitely so uh continuing on with your story here we talked about like getting that ball rolling with your first initial project and then uh continuing to build up your portfolio there today in your business where do you find the majority of your leads are coming through uh currently yeah i would say uh the majority of it is through uh word of mouth uh when we ask a lot of our customers it's oh we we're over at you know certain customers house and saw their patio out back or talk to their friend. Um, but that to us is the number one source of lead. Um, we will, we will run some Facebook ads and do some things like that, uh, kind of along the way. Um, but I would say by far, that's the, our, our biggest, you know, source of 
leads that are coming through the door. So we, you know, try and make that a habit around here to, you know, send things out to previous customers, really thank them uh, for the work that we've done. But yeah, I think that's the the number one thing is leaving your job site with your customers that um, they're not like happy you're gone when you leave, you know, that they really enjoyed the experience um, along the way. Uh, so that's been our biggest source of leads. But I mean, also, I think when you're getting started out again, once you get a few pictures, um, those Facebook market or Facebook ads can be can be really helpful as well. Uh, we, we've had a lot of good results, uh, you know, doing different Facebook ads and stuff like that. Uh, but those have really been the, the two sources uh, over the years. We're looking this year to kind of expand a little bit. So we're going to be trying some some new avenues as far as sending mailers and things. Um, but really up, up to date, we have not done any marketing other than like our, our Facebook ad um, or some things like that. But uh, yeah, most of it's really just coming through, you know, referrals from other customers and that, that word of mouth. So that would be a, a big push and, you know, make sure you're treating your, your existing customers really well and that when you leave that they're happy. And then so. just kind of picking that apart a little bit, what do you, what do you do specifically to ensure that uh, your clients that you are currently servicing are happy throughout the process, at the end of the process, like any, uh, anything's in, in particular there that you like ensure that along the way they're happy and at the end of the project, they're happy and everything like that. Yeah. So again, that, that in and of itself has been a huge journey. You know, sometimes you get on these projects that are 20 pallets or more and you just leave a mess. Um, everywhere, you know, there's there's half pallets stacked on top of each other with the papers wedged between it, and it can it's so easy for those sites sites to become chaos. Um, but I, that's been something that specifically this past season that we really tried to focus, whether it was sweeping the street at the end of every day. Um, but I think keeping a, a clean site um, not only does your homeowner appreciate that, but I think the the customers that are around there that also have money um, are noticing that as well. Um, we, as a result this year, early April, we did, did a project where, you know, it was kind of that exact situation. We did a great job cleaning up the site and the customer had actually come over and mentioned it to us, um, then ended up resulting in more work for us. So it's, I think that's a, a huge one is how you uh, leave your site at the end of the day, as well as communicating with customers. Um, I know that's the, one thing with contractors, right? And it's like, if you, you can get back to someone and then like a day or two from an email or something, yeah, it's like, that's way higher than the, the average in most areas. So I think having that, that good communication with your, especially the people you're working for uh, is, is huge. Uh, and then hit, hitting your deadlines as, as much as you can, uh, you know, really trying to make that, that a priority. I know sometimes you get into, again, those bigger projects and they end up, expanding a week or two weeks or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, I think that's super important to give someone a realistic deadline and then you know, follow through on that, you know? Yeah. That, that one hits home for me with my last uh, project of the season. Uh, yeah. Better to, uh, what is it? Under promise and over deliver than to over promise and under deliver. So that's, that's definitely a good one for sure. Right. Yeah. And, and we all know that there, there's absolutely things that happen but I think just having that whether it's when you show up on site that morning like letting the homeowner know like hey it's it's too wet so this is going to bump everything um, but just keeping that that clear communication along the process or if you're waiting on materials you know we we deal with that sometimes as well um, if there's holdups um, you can't stop those but I think again just making sure that there's that clear line of communication to kind of keep everyone's uh, expectations in check I just want to take a break from today's episode to talk about our sponsor, Cycle CPA. You may have a CRM or project management software in place, but what data are you using to ensure your estimating is accurate? Having a proper accounting setup and accurate bookkeeping done is key to understanding overhead expenses and other costs that must be recouped in your estimates. Cycle CPA is a remote bookkeeping and CFO firm that helps to connect the dots from the financial reports to the hardscape and landscape data needed in order to reach high profits. They provide landscape and hardscape industry benchmarking, job costing financials by service line, advisory meetings, and much more. 
Cycle CPA's team of accountants are specialized within the hardscape and landscape industry, and you can visit them at CycleCPA.com, and for $200 off, mention the How to Hardscape podcast. Now back to our episode. So so going on to leads, to transferring to your sales process, somebody has contacted you, whether that's through uh, email, phone call, text, whatever that might be, uh, where do you take that from there? How do you uh, continue on towards scheduling a consultation with them? Yeah, so really uh, the process is, uh, you know, when someone will call in, I'll, uh, you know, get, get back to them. We'll, we'll set up a time to come meet on site. Uh, really for everything we're doing, I will have customers every now and then that will, like, I'll just, you know, send you pictures or it's a 10 by 10 patio. What is it going to cost? And, uh, we don't mess with that. You know, we always, you know, do a, do a site visit with the customer. So that's kind of step one, set that site visit. Um, that then from there, uh, depending on where we're in the season, if we need to design, uh, kind of talk through that with them, but really, uh, for us, we show up on site and, uh, for our, our hardscape or outdoor living spaces, just kind of get the wish list uh, from the customer as far as what all they want. Um, and then uh, give them kind of a time frame as far as our, our design. Uh, and then from there, you know, once we, we get the design, uh, we're really kind of going to rework this, this process a bit because, you know, I can just share from, from some failures. Uh, there's a lot of times where, uh, Number one, not charging for design. And number two, just emailing those, the customers with the proposal. There's a lot of times where people don't respond um, or you have some of those those headaches where people just uh, don't really value that as much. So that's going to be something that that this year we're going to kind of push to implement this year is actually charging for those designs um, and, and tweaking that process a little bit because, you know, there's a, that, that's when kind of a, a hiccup in our growth is, you know, we might send out 10, 10 designs to people uh, or t- 10 designs to 10 customers and maybe, you know, seven out of 10 will even talk to us after that point. Um, so trying to trying to find a way to vet that I think is going to be super, super crucial. You uh, mentioned in there that you might like email a design and a proposal and not hear back from them. Are you, are you thinking of actually being able to uh, meet in person and, and show them the design and proposal and talk them through that or like a Zoom call? Like what what's your thoughts around doing that or like uh, in the future, what are you thinking about doing? Yeah, so we have a office space like uh, in town near near our shop. So that's been something where we, I really would like to turn that into kind of the, where we present our designs, uh, either there or obviously being willing to meet a customer at the house. Um, but I think handing that design over in person, because um, some of these hardscape projects, you know, when a customer sees, sees the price for some of these things, it's, it's not cheap work. Um, so I think sometimes you deal with some of that, that sticker shock. Yeah. Um, that where people just, you know, don't respond or then just go to start getting other opinions. Um, so that's where, uh, yeah, I think that in-person meeting of going over the design and sort of that presentation is going to be crucial, um, to kind of require that if you will, um, just to, again, be able to talk through it with the customer, you know, allow them to understand why does this outdoor kitchen set up cost 20 grand? It's like, well, you know, you're able to kind of go through that with them. Um, and not that you have to explain yourself away to a customer. I know sometimes that's a, a pit to get stuck in. Um, but I think being able to be there with them to, you know, then talk through adjustments to get within budget. Because uh, I'm not sure what your experience is, but I know uh, we, most customers are are fairly reluctant to uh, give you a hard number as far as the budget or what they had in mind uh, for their backyard. We'll ask, um, but a lot of times they're like, well, we're just kind of, you know, very skittish about it. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know if that's uh, normal or not, but that's that's what we experience. So I think sometimes I, I'll give a customer a, a kind of a ballpark of where we're at on site, but um, normally I just get their wish list and then kind of show them what it'll cost, and then we can always pair back back from there. Uh, sort of thing is how I, I've approached that in the past. Definitely. Yeah. Getting that budget's difficult and it's, it could be them being reluctant, right? Or it could also be them. I think the majority of people just don't understand how much, what goes into these spaces and how much it costs. So yeah. I like, I, I think I try to lean more towards 
their uh, ignorance of not knowing what it costs as opposed to like them trying to hold that back for you for some reason, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of it is, you know, again, they're just unsure. They have no nothing to even frame around what this outdoor space is going to cost. So they don't want to, um, yeah, sound foolish, I guess, anyway. So it's, it's understandable. Yeah. I think that's where for us, it's important to tell them like, hey, normally if you're going to do a space with a fire feature and or a outdoor kitchen is going to be, you know, 50 grand or more, you know. Um, so to kind of give them some some ballpark numbers just to help educate them on site, yeah. I think it can save, save both parties some time. So that's definitely something that we that we try to do. Um, but yeah, uh, going back to just the, the design charging and stuff, like we, uh, at the start of the spring, you know, a few times I had mentioned that to customers that a design was this much and, uh, yeah, we kind of experienced a decent amount of resistance. Uh, so not that that is how you need to gauge what you do in your business, but uh, I think for us, you can kind of incorporate the, the design cost into the project. Um, it's just important to make sure you're you're converting at, converting enough of those leads, you know. Yeah, I like that idea. And the, going back to what you said from the beginning when you were first starting out, you know, pricing those projects to to. Uh, build up your portfolio was was a, an important thing in your growth, right? And still designs is like a uh, a value add, so to speak. So like you can still price that into your project and uh, find a way to be able to, uh, you know, not necessarily give them away for free, but maybe you can charge for them and, and reimburse them in, in the actual uh, project when they go ahead with it or something like that, right? There's a, There's so many different ways in which you can uh, incorporate that design cost into the final project. Yeah, absolutely. So that's really, I think, what what we're looking to to do going forward. Um, and then I know we had talked about, you know, again going back to how we get leads. We were looking into some mailers and even sending out like we offering free designs till April one, um, and then kind of being able to draw that line in the sand where that's kind of our our transition period to to charging for that. But again, just in full transparency that that has been kind of something along the journey I've put my foot into and taken it out and uh yeah that been a little bit back and forth on uh, so yeah it's been it's been a process I think that's that's the fun part about you know owning your own business being able to do this is that you really get to set the culture of how, how you run and how you operate um again for us just going back to once we got those pictures of that that driveway that we had done specifically um it was like once you showed a customer that on site they just un- assumed that you know what you're doing and even it was great for for really generating those leads on facebook um having those pictures that we could run ads with um so that to me is like if, if you're serious about this uh, again you want to make sure you're recouping your costs and that you're not like giving your work away um but yeah the the quicker you can build build a portfolio uh, I know that for us has really accelerated the amount of calls that we get, um, just whether it's on Instagram or whatever it is, but just having those pictures of the, you know, the, the projects that you're doing just really shows people that, again, you're, you're a part of the industry, if you will, kind of gives you that validation. Definitely. What about your qualification process before you actually go ahead and schedule a consultation? Like what kind of questions are you trying to ask them or even uh, are you trying to get that budgeted in that initial conversation before you schedule the consultation or uh, trying to give them like an idea of, Hey, typically like our projects are going to cost like this. Like uh, what kind of questions are you asking in that qualification phase before you schedule a consultation with them? Yeah. So, I mean, again, look, looking at kind of our, our process, we, I have not had a very in-depth as far as the, a qualifying process, but I think the biggest thing will be kind of getting there, what they're looking for over the phone, as far as, you know, what type of project are they looking to have done? Um, and then being able to kind of give them some sort of frame of reference, whether it's, you know, we generally charge this much per day plus material, you know, or just kind of get, getting them involved, you know, like you said, for the hardscape stuff, there's kind of some benchmarks of uh, if you've got a gas fire pit, it's going to add this much or, you know, sort of those things that we've developed along the way uh, where you can kind of help set that expectation. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that that's, that's really the biggest thing is just seeing what they're looking to have done and then kind of a, 
a rough estimate as far as you know paying generally our patios are going to start around like ten thousand bucks is going to be kind of that that baseline you know we can do something real small for less than that but it's like generally that's going to be kind of your your baseline spend there um so yeah i think just having those uh a few numbers in your pocket to where you know you know this is this is kind of roughly what these will start at um is a great way to at least get your foot in the door and make sure you're not wasting your time uh, in the process. Um, Cause again, there's, there's been many years where we had zero qualification. Uh, we were just sending the designs to anybody who asked. Um, and uh, yeah, you can, <laughs> I, I'm the candidate of wasting a lot of time doing that. So yeah, I think the, the more you can qualify uh, with making your com- customers still feel comfortable. Uh, it's, it's worth it. Uh, save you a lot of time. Yeah. I've wasted a lot of my time with the, uh, not having a qualification process. So you're in, uh, there, I'm sure there's many people just starting out that have done the exact same. And with that being said, a cons- consultation, do you charge? Do you not charge? Why or why not? So I don't charge. Um, again, this is something uh, we've been kind of kicking around for this year. I, I brought in some, we're getting involved with synced up, kind of doing a lot of business change, trying to build out our infrastructure a lot more. So we've, we've talked and been really back and forth on that, uh, but currently we don't and we have it. Um, and, you know, the justification or reason behind it, I mean, I, I know there are quite a few companies in the area that, that do charge. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I don't have a lot of justification for, for why we don't. Um, I just, for me, as a kind of a company, you know, that's working, has been working for years to really get our name into the local market, uh, and become a, a, a good option. I I wanted to go to every lead, shake every hand, you know, and even if we're the guy where like, we got a quote for Hatton and it was expensive, hey, they're talking about it. So it's just like, I kind of wanted to just chase every squirrel, if you will. Um, but I think as we develop, you know, and kind of hone our process and are getting better lead, um, I think I think it's important that we, we do, you know, I, even if it's just a, a basic cost of like $50, um, you know, I, I don't think that we'll ever be charging several hundred dollars to go look at someone's house. Um, but I think just that initial investment, I think, is a helps your customer open their email when things come through or, you know, gives them kind of that that buy in or that investment into the project as well. Um, I see the value and why why to charge. But again, we're, we aren't currently doing that. Um and so then you you schedule that consultation, you go to the consultation, and you, you mentioned uh, getting a checklist of things that they are looking for in that project. What what questions are you asking them or things are that you are looking for to be able to get that checklist or to be able to understand further what they're exactly looking for for their outdoor space? Yeah, so one thing, again, this kind of, I had heard from, from Jack Kelly over at, at Imagine that he had shared that really stuck with me is it's like uh, our job as designers is to really kind of show people what what their their space could be. Um, so it's like I think a lot of people when they think they might know they want a patio and a, like a fire table or something, but really to push those features like I put putting greens in almost every design I do or, you know, these different features. I think it's just fun to um, kind of show people what their yard could be. Um, so we do, we do get a general, you know, feel of the customer, you know, uh, always kind of go through whether they want a bar top or a pergola or, uh, you know, a fire, fire area. Um, but even there, a lot of times when we, someone just wants a fire pit, we'll, we'll design a bench in or, you know, some of these features um, just to kind of push, you know, most people don't realize that you can, you know, build a full couch out of pavers. They haven't seen that before. Um, you know, so I think that's where um, there's a lot of fun and creativity in this space to be able to use that as like an opportunity to show show your customer what their yard could be in yeah. a way. Um, but yeah, in that process, it is important. You don't want to design a $200,000 backyard for someone who just wants a fire pit. You know, so there is some um, gauging between there. But for those customers that you can tell are looking for a big, beautiful space, uh, kind of get that that checklist. So really for us, it's do you want, you know, a fire feature, uh, outdoor kitchen area, um, you know, any overhead features, and then, you know, do you golf? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, you know, 
So th- those sort of things. So yeah, that's that's kind of our process to just get their their wish list, if you will, of some things they're looking to see, um, and then yeah, kind of go from there. So if if you ask them like about a specific feature, uh, say something like a, a seat wall. Or you ask them if they golf and they're kind of like, yeah, uh, a little bit, but uh, they're not like too interested. Will you still like include something like that in the design just to show them like the potential to see if they'll go ahead? And, and if you do, like, what are your results with doing something like that? Yeah, so we actually had a project. We we did it someone's whole front yard with artificial turf. It was a paver driveway. Um, but that was for me, it was like such an uplifting experience. I essentially showed up at this guy's house. He did, was just talking about, because we were landscapers to him. So he just was kind of talking about like, we would maybe do some new plants or I don't like this rock, real basic stuff. And in the process of talking with him, I kind of shared with him that his you know, walkway was bad. So then we talked about doing pavers and he's like, well, the whole driveway's bad. So I was like, what we could do, you know, so it's just kind of like one thing after the next. And he was telling me how terrible their front yard was. So I kind of mentioned that artificial turf, um, but kind of just led his hand through this. And before we knew it, I, I went to this consult thinking it was going to be for maybe a $5,000 landscape job and ended up leaving with one of the biggest projects we've ever done. Nice. So again, I think that might be a little, oh, like the, there's value in just going to every project. Um, because sometimes the customers have no idea what what you're capable of. And once you get on site, um, I think you can kind of cast some dreams for the people with some vision. Um, but yeah, I mean, if a customer's like, no, I'm not really into golf, not that I'm going to like absolutely push that. Um, but we'll, you know, if we build a bench, we might put some two water features on either end, like some, you know, stone, but like pondless water features. So just kind of looking to add those those little extra things that they may not have, have thought of, um, you know, yeah, just try and get creative. I think that's where, again, I really have loved in this hardscape industry is with the level of creativity that you can do in someone's backyard, um, whether it's, you know, sunken features or all these sort of different elements that you can incorporate. Um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of a mix. You, you, you want to take what, what the customer's giving you and, and not just go the opposite direction with it. But I think it's important that as a designer, you're always inspired and really looking um, for those creative features that you can add in because, you know, I don't know about your area, but most, most patios are a big rectangle with a little circle outlet off where you put your fire pit. So it's like really trying to find ways where we can make more unique spaces. Yeah. Um, it has it, been fun for us. Like we, uh, last year, I got to do a big like golf course in the customer's backyard. You know, it was like a three thousand square foot turf job with multiple layers. So it's like um, that's really my passion and what gets me excited is those interactive spaces where it's not just flat work, um, but really somewhere you can go and like make some memories and stay out there till two in the morning, chipping golf balls, playing in your you know, creating those spaces people don't want to leave beyond just the the simple flat work. You know, definitely, definitely. And then uh, when it comes to the proposal, uh, this is something that I want to ask more and more people as they come on the show, actually, is uh, what what's your style with sending a proposal to somebody in terms of what that proposal actually looks like? Do you do very specific line item pricing for everything and uh, go all out on it? Do you do uh, pricing by work areas so that they can kind of pick and choose and see where they're going with it with that? Or do you just do like, say, an explanation and have... Uh, the different work areas, but have a single price for everything included. What's your style like for sending a proposal and what it looks like? So we, um, we don't get super in depth as far as the breakdown, um, but for a proposal, like if you've got a, a patio without your feature and a fire pit in the bench, each one of those will be kind of line item just so the customer can kind of gauge like I, I don't quite want to spend that much money. So it, it gives them, I feel like for me, it gives them a bit of control or understanding yeah. um, in the in the cost per feature. So I don't like break it down like to like excavation cost or this, you know, like real detailed, but I will give them, you know, sort of a, a somewhat broken down uh, project. Because again, I, we want to be flexible with customers. You know, I realize most, there's a lot of people that don't have $50,000 to spend in their backyard, but I'd still love to work for them. Um, so that's where I think to uh, 
you know, you, you do want to be careful because we've had a lot of customers that will like dig and prod. Like I won't give them material costs or things that specific, but I will give them like, Hey, if you want a 10 foot bar and a built-in grill, it's going to be this much. Right. Um, so that they kind of give them some education on what each one of these features costs to get you to this hundred thousand dollar backyard uh, or whatever that is. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's, again, I know some people just give it all. It's like, this is what it costs to do it, or we don't do it. Um, that's not really my approach. I try to, uh, best we can work with people, uh, especially when you know they're serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the, the kind of our approach to that. And then, uh, when a client goes ahead with you, do you have a specific pricing structure? In terms of this percent down, this percent midway, this percent at the end, or is it flexible in terms of the project? Just what's your thoughts on that pricing structure once you've signed up a client? Yeah, so we'll do uh, just like a 10% deposit to get on, on our schedule. Um, so not not a huge deposit, but that's like a non-refundable deposit to, to confirm the work. So I don't get a, a huge amount upfront. Um, and then... Once we get into the project, normally for anything over, uh, I'd say like 50,000, we're doing four draws throughout the project. Um, so that's been been good for us. So we'll get that, uh, you know, so take 10% out, but then we'll do like four draws throughout the project. So the first day we're there, 25%, then, you know, as, as materials arrive on site, 25%, and then kind of a benchmark throughout the project. So that's kind of how we've done it. Um, it's, it's worked well for us. Again, I kind of learned that from Caleb over at Almond. He had mentioned just the, the importance of that, that draw method. We used to do stuff just like 50% down and 50% at the end. Um, but that just does not seem why, you know, it's just not a wise move. So I kind of like the idea of getting that money and draws throughout. Um, you know, again, for a smaller, maybe $10,000 project, we'll maybe do a 50 and then 50 because we'll be in and out in a few days. Um, but normally for those larger projects that are a few weeks or more, um, doing the draws, I think works best for everyone. The customer gets to see some progress, uh, but then we're also getting getting paid along the way. Uh, that has worked well for us. Definitely. And as uh, I ask that question, I ask uh, this question right after it because usually they sometimes go hand in hand, uh, sometimes not. Sometimes it can be a, a problem on site or anything in your business. But my next question is uh, a horror story. Joel, do you have a horror story from your time in business that you'd want to share with our audience? And the reason why I asked this is not to put you on the spot or, or, or anything like that, but to just help those wanting to get in business, wanting to get in the industry to just share like, you know what, things do happen. There are problems that do happen in business. But Joel, do you have a horror story you'd want to share with our audience? Two pop into mind, but the, the first one I'll share I think, again, it goes back to the the draw. That was really when we implemented it. It was the horror story that brought this on. We were doing a big retaining wall for a customer and uh, big retaining wall and patio project. And uh, we, we were doing it 50% down and 50% at the end. So, you know, we had like t- around $20,000 that this guy had. And long story short, he was just kept like adding things in like, well, this... Uh, you know, like wanted us to re-put in brick edging uh, after we put the brick edging in. Like I had the customer meet us to really specify where he wanted it. We put it in and then he literally came back from lunch and refused to give me the money until we moved it again. So it was just like kind of one of those things where you could feel the guy dragging you, dragging you down the road a little bit. Um, and that was, you know, kind of the, the start of like, man, we've got to, uh, that leaves a lot of power in your customer's hands. So, uh, looking back on it after you do the project, you're like, man, I sh- I knew better than to work with this person for X, Y, and Z. Um, but yeah, sometimes that's easier to see after the fact. But yeah, that was for us that was painful because it was you know it was somehow managed to be dragged on for weeks because he would say, well, I'm not home, you know, and then it just became really a headache. Thankfully, uh, we were paid for that. Uh, it, it was never never got to that point. I know a lot of people have worse horror stories than that. Um, but yeah, that was kind of that, that learning lesson for me of, man, I need to, you know, collect more money along the way. Cause this, this is a, you know, it was, it was nerve wracking as a small business owner, you've got payroll coming up, you know, the, the headaches of things and the customer was just so reluctant to pay. 
um, and just kept kind of making silly changes uh, that, uh, yeah, that was, that was really what started the, uh, the process of, yeah, the draw payments, which were have been great for it. So we've never had, had, had like any nightmares where someone just straight up hasn't paid an amount. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that was a good enough lesson for me of like, man, I need to <laughs> collect the money along the way for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely good uh, learning lesson, especially. And I've learned that. I'm sure many people have uh, that draw method having leaving as little to that end is is the best for us as possible as business owners and for that cash flow throughout the project. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And even, you know, just looking at being objective as far as our method, even 25 percent at the end, uh, depending the project size can be be a large amount. So I I would definitely recommend you don't want the customer having to come out every day and give you a check, obviously. But I, I think it's important that, yeah, as, as minimal amount you can leave to the end that makes sense, I think is, is super crucial uh, for sure. Hey, do you have a budget set for 2023? Are you starting the estimating process with a budget in place to ensure that you are recovering your overhead expenses, labor, material costs, profit, and other hidden expenses within your business? Do you know that you're making profit on certain projects throughout the year? If you're struggling with any of these things, then the How to Hardscape headquarters can help you this year. Check it out at members.howtohardscape.com or shoot me a message at howtohardscape on Instagram. This software will streamline processes in your business. It's going to help you budget, estimate, ensure that you are making profit on projects throughout the year and help you adjust throughout the year. We're also going to be continuously improving this software to include more and more features, as well as the content that's already available to members right now if you're looking to train your employees as they come in. So once again, members.howtohardscape.com, the price will continuously go up as more features and as more content is offered over there. So there's never a bad time to get signed up with that. And with that being said, let's get back to the episode. Uh, Joel, uh, installation practices, equipment that you live by in your business. This is just like a broad range question that I just throw at you. Anything that you want to talk about in terms of installation practices that you live by in your business, uh, equipment that you could not go without in your business or have recently purchased or are looking at purchasing, anything in terms of that that you want to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely as far as installation, we build everything on open grade stone, uh, I think. Most people are by now, but uh, yeah, that, that for me was, you know, probably about five years ago, we, we switched over to only open graded, but we've had very, very minimal callbacks and, uh, and great results um, with the open graded stone for that. So that um, for us has is, is been huge. Um, and then as far as equipment, I know uh, looking back on kind of getting into the, the business myself, we got a a skid steer with tires to start. That was to me like the the machine. You needed a full size skid to be a landscaper, um, and I found we hardly could ever use it. Um, it just destroys people's yards um, and does a, a lot of damage. I mean, there is value in it. We do use it, um, but going back, I would say to any landscaper looking to start, the first machine I would buy is a mini skid, uh, like a you know MT one hundred or even the the bigger Ditchwich one. Uh, to me, those are, uh, that's like step one. Uh, that thing never comes home from the projects. You know, it goes from site to site and is used every day. Uh, so for me, that, uh, I know that's a pretty pretty standard tool, but that would be, to anyone looking to start or grow their business, I would say that'd be the probably the first tool you look to buy. Uh, but that that has been great for us. We're, we're finally going to get a candy comp this year, get our, our buggy uh, for 2023. But uh, again, we don't don't currently have that right now. We uh, just operating with the full size skid and then the the mini bobcat, you know, stand on unit. Uh, so we've got the dump trucks and stuff. But yeah, so there's a there's a lot on the wish list for us. But I know the the next tool for sure is going to be the the buggy. Uh, that seems like again that other tool that would just never come home, uh, be be used constantly. So I think those those are the that's the combo that uh, any young landscaper should aspire to have um, for sure. Yeah, excellent, excellent. And then uh, a couple more questions as we come to a close here, Joel. 
anybody that uh, you'd want to give a shout out here on this podcast, that's uh, mentors, people that you look up to, inspiration, whatever that might be that have helped you along the way, anybody on this podcast that you want to give a shout out? Absolutely. So uh, for sure, Jack uh, over at Imagine, I mean, he, for, for me personally, that's uh, been a, a huge source of inspiration and motivation. We got connected uh, with him probably about five years ago or so, maybe not quite that long. Um, but yeah, just get, get yourself, you know, around people like that, how, whatever you got to suspend to do it or however the, it works, you know, but it's like getting yourself around, uh, those good people. So Jack is n- number one for sure, uh, over at Imagine, uh, been a huge source of inspiration for me. Uh, and then also we got a lot of great guys locally, you know, in our area, which is again, Creekside with Mike, uh, as well as Andy Mulder in the region. Um, so we've, we've got a lot of, a lot of great installers. So those are all, you know, again, it's a, some big shoes around here, uh, to say the least, as far as some, some really great, great installers. So, uh, yeah, always got to shout those guys out. And the final question, but it's a big one, Joel. Uh, what is one thing that you know now in your business or personal life, whatever you want to take this that you wish you knew from the very beginning? So one thing that you know now that you wish you knew from the very start. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, for me, I think it's just like I struggled for a long time as far as pricing projects, right? I think I had a some mental breaks as far as you know numbers in my head or things like that. But I think uh, as a business owner, just feeling that validation, I think, is, is so crucial and so key uh, to be able to charge what you're worth. Um, so I think that if I could look back at myself ten years ago, I think that's what I would would tell myself is uh, you know charge what you're worth. Uh, and know your value because uh, I, I think there was a lot a lot of w- wasted season of my life you know just again we were doing cool projects but we just weren't charging enough um my so i think that that's a huge uh huge thing for for business owners you know value your time and charge for it definitely yeah you can't go wrong uh with you know charging what you're worth absolutely and Everybody uh, has their own journey to that and understanding their numbers. So uh, excellent, excellent advice, Joel. This has been a a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, Where can our audience go to learn more about you, what you've got going on over there? Yeah, so uh, Instagram, uh, we're on Instagram at Hatton Landscape. Uh, So that's really where we got our website linked to and everything. So that's really our only push right now. We're not on YouTube or any of those other things at the the moment, Um, but yeah. Check us out on Hatton Landscape uh, on Instagram and uh, give us a follow. Awesome. Joel, thanks so much for your time. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to today's podcast episode. Once again, Hatton underscore landscape there, H-A-T-T-O-N underscore landscape to find out more about Joel and everything that he's got going on over there. Cycle CPA. Also, while you're there on Instagram, cycle underscore CPA. And if you need bookkeeping, accounting or CFO services, they are cyclecpa.com. Reach out to them. Let them know how to Hardscape sent you for $200 off their services there. And also check out the How to Hardscape headquarters. Go to members.howtohardscape.com to learn more about that as well as everything else that we've got for members there. And we look forward to meeting with you next week on the How to Hardscape podcast. Thinking back, you really years ago, I should have brought this up on, on the podcast, but bought your... Uh software as far as for the the charging and estimating the spreadsheet uh, there yeah man yep. and, i mean that was really step one for us of like holy crap i'm not charging anywhere <laughs> you know, that, that was huge for us along the journey so appreciate what you do this is awesome